This is HPR episode 2095 entitled 23 SSL Certificates, How They Work, and is part of the series Privacy and Security. It is hosted by Ahuka and is about 41 minutes long. The summary is a discussion of how SSL certificates work. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hello, this is Ahuka welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode. Uh, this particular one comes from a talk that I gave at our local Linux users group. It was kind of a long talk, so I've split it up into two episodes uh, here on HPR. Uh, this all has to do with SSL certificates. So in the first of the two talks, I'm going to get into just the basic details about how SSL certificates work so that we understand the basic technology. And then in the second one, I'm going to get into some of the problems and potentially some of the solutions to those problems. Now, this was done uh, very simply with a Sansa Clip Plus that I just started recording. I had it clipped to my shirt. That is real easy to do, so if you're ever looking to record a show for Hacker Public Radio, give it a try. Now, the one thing that it doesn't do very well is pick up other people in the room. So I had to edit the files a little bit. There are some long-winded questions that it would have just been a long period of silence, so I took those out. Uh, That may occasionally make things just slightly jumpy that, you know, I seem to go from one thing to another because I cut out two minutes of silence in the middle. Um, but I think it's, uh, it should be enjoyable and uh, offer it up for your enjoyment. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. So, the first thing is I've done a few previous presentations about encryption and the technology involved. Uh, and one of the things that I think is important to stress is that the same technology gets used over and over. And that's why, uh, like last year, I did encryption basics at Ohio Linux Fest that just covered essentially what are asymmetric and symmetric algorithms and how does all of that stuff work. and so I like, well, once you understand that, then you understand how to encrypt your email, you understand how SSL certs work, you understand how secure login to SSH works. It's all the same technology, essentially. Um, so, let's start with something like digital signatures. All right, now, most people encounter that with email. So... You sign an email, it's encrypted using your 
private key. Now, remember that the designation private key and public key is somewhat arbitrary. What happens when you do key generation is you generate a key pair. And essentially what happens with a key pair is that each key can decrypt something encrypted with the other key, but no key can decrypt something it itself has encrypted. And so that's important. So the, the public one that's out there can be used in several different ways. So if you do a digital signature, what's happening? Well, your private key is used to encrypt the message. And it puts that encrypted thing at the bottom as part of your signature. And then someone who has your public key can basically decrypt and say, well, essentially, yeah, is that the same as the text that I'm already looking at? So it's not secrecy. What it is, it is authentication, all right? Non-deniability. Now, there's some very interesting stuff that is, I'm now seeing talked about in the security area about, well, you know, maybe sometimes deniability is a good thing. You know, you might want to have something where you can say, you can't prove I wrote that. <laughs> but the idea of the email signature originally was it was proof that the message was genuine, had not been tampered with since I attached that. Right. So it, it proves you're the one who sent it. You can do the comparisons um, and see that that's the thing. Now, a digital. Cert yep. You only don't want to send it twice. Most uh, most of the uh, most of your email clients that have the encryption plug-in or whatever. I mean, that's all handled in the background anyway. You don't need to actually manually go through doing it. Um, but what would happen would be if someone, you know, man in the middle got in there and put the word not in front of your statement, yep. you know, when it showed up with the recipient, they should get a warning that says, that ah, been tampered with, this is not authentic, don't trust it. But yeah, every now and then I occasionally get them that says, warning, hash not. Right. <coughs> right. So the, the, the technology is, can be used for secrecy or it can be used for authentication and non-deniability. Now, with digital certificates, you have the same technology, all right? With the digital certificate, what is being distributed out of this for each cert a public key is generated. So there's a, a key pair, again, arbitrary, which is public and which is private. Um, but the certificate is signed using the private key and the public key is distributed. So when you get the certificate, you can use the public key and say, okay, yeah, genuine certificate. And again, that would matter if you went to a site that you had been to and you know, you'd already recorded this is the public key and you know, I know what to expect and you get a tampered certificate that's trying to do something funny. You get a warning and say, oh, something's wrong here. 
So it's validation. There has to be something. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of the issues around this, but right now this is just what are the mechanics of this process look like? So you're using, you know, that the public key is, is out there. Um, it might, uh, you know, if you want to talk to Mike about how he does his SSH login procedure, he's, he's got these keys on each computer and so he can securely tell whether or not that's the right person logging in. Now with SSL, what we're talking about is secure sockets layer. This is created by Netscape as so many web technologies were really. It is uh, unfortunately not secure. And um, there was a thing called Poodle and if you want to read about it, there's a URL, you could look that up, but basically what is happening is that various browsers are starting to say we will not accept SSL at all. Uh, not even SSL 3.0, it is just too insecure. So if that's the case, what we're doing is we're moving to something called TLS, Transport Layer Security. And the only vulnerability that I am aware of, and I emphasize that, you know, at, at the risk of quoting Donald Rumsfeld, there's, you know, the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. The thing in security, you can only just talk about what you know. So I could open up my browser tomorrow and, and read the headlines and see that they've just discovered a brand new vulnerability in TLS. But the one that I know of is by inducing a downgrade. So generally speaking, when you're communicating with a site, you have a, a list of different technologies that you're aware of for encryption and the server has its list of technologies and you do a negotiation that ideally would result in the highest possible level of security. However, it is possible in some circumstances for someone to do something to the server that is gonna force a downgrade that they can then use to insert something onto your computer. So that's one of the reasons why they're now saying we've just gotta get rid of SSL. Uh, entirely because we don't want this downgrade attack to be successful. Right? And that means TLS is the thing. Um, Red Hat's got a nice article on how you can go onto your server and say, oh, by the way, we're not going to do any SSL anymore. And if you come here and your browser says, well, SSL is all I know, then we just won't let you connect. Um, certainly, I, all of the major browsers are quite ready to communicate using TLS. There, there's no reason for SSL. Now, what may happen is that, uh, you know, you could run into some applications that haven't, but that's changing rapidly. So, 
how does this technology work? You start with a browser making a request for a connection. Now, <clears throat> if we're talking certificates, we're talking HTTPS, a secure cert. I believe they did, but at the same time, I think they want to just get rid of SSL altogether. Uh, there's, there's no reason for it anymore. So yes, they did put through a patch to, you know, put a Band-Aid on the problem immediately. <coughs> but it is an example of something you want to get away from. How long has the TLS been out? No, no, it's not that long, I don't think. It's been a few years. Yeah, it's been a few years. It's been quite a few years because Yeah, you've all got computers. Why are you asking me? <laughs> um, so, uh, HTTPS is a secure connection. There are a couple of different ways that this might happen. You can request a secure connection. You can do it manually by typing HTTPS into your browser. Uh, you can configure your browser to always request an HTTPS connection. They have plugins that will do that now. Or the server could say, those are the only kinds of connections we allow. All right, so any of those things are conceivable. So, yeah. so they could, I mean, they could default to that and then downgrade to an insecure connection, or they could simply refuse the connection. Depends on what it is. Right. Right. It, it, it depends on the site. Now, let's say I've got my browser, and I do. I've got the plug-in, HTTPS Anywhere, which comes from the EFF. Uh, HTTPS Everywhere, sorry. You've even got the URL up there. Um, you know, if, if I go to Mike's blog and it downgrades me to HTTP, do I really give a damn? It's not. This is blog, right? But if I go to my bank and they don't accept an HTTPS connection, I've got a serious issue. I also want to see the little SERP from the level and the guarantee on their SERP. Right. Now, one of the things that is promoting this, Google has said, well, we're going to take this into account in compiling our search results. You know, if you want to show up on page one, and you want to show up on page one, right? You'd like to be as close to the top as possible on a search. You're saying, well, you know, if, if you're not offering secure connections, that ain't going to happen anymore. So that's a, a good way of doing that, and you can read. Uh, and that's two years ago, that, well, a year and a half ago that they were doing that. So the key exchange, the public key is distributed by the server, and that's the public key that goes along with the private key that was used to encrypt a certificate. This is sent to the client. 
Then what happens, Diffie-Hellman-Merkel key exchange or an RSA key exchange, those are two slightly different methodologies. They don't use uh, exactly the same encryption. I believe Diffie-Hellman uses uh, DSA and uh, RSA uses RSA. So. Um, now, this is a way of getting the symmetric key across. The reason you do that, you say, well, you know, you got a public key and a private key. Why, why do you need another key? Because there's a computing overhead involved in public-private key. All right? It is co more computationally intensive. Now, that's one of the reasons that gives it a high degree of security. It's harder to crack and all of that. But uh, if you're going to do a lot of back and forth stuff, you know, you're going to, and I don't know if you've measured lately just how much crap gets transmitted by sure. most websites. But, you know, you know, five, ten megs per page now is, is not uncommon. Uh, well, uh, yeah, you can you can stop all of it, but uh, you know at a certain point it, it's like, well, why bother? Um, I just wonder how many the, how many times the fifty state the the, the uh, two letter codes for the fifty states have been transmitted over an internet connection. Right. So the fact is that the symmetric key is used to do the the majority of the work. Now, earlier when we talked about email, we made the same distinction because what actually happens if you encrypt an email is that the key pair is used to encrypt the symmetric key that will be used <laughs> to actually carry on the conversation. And the same thing again with SSH. And you want to be careful. There's so, man in the middle, which in a pretty high proportion of cases, if you're worried about security, you're, you're worried about man-in-the-middle attacks. That's the vast majority of the scenarios that you worry about. Uh, and, you know, a man-in-the-middle attack ideally would be, uh, you know, Mike tries to initiate a secure connection with a server. I get there and say, oh, interesting. Then I connect to the server and get something that I can in turn pass along to him, but I get to watch it. And, you know, I'm the man in the middle if that happens. Um, well, if that happens, and by the way, this is exactly what most companies do. Right? If you work for any kind of large organization. Right? Uh, I work in Dearborn. Um, what they typically will do, and they are completely within their rights legally because you're using their computers and their network, they can control everything that happens. So if I decide to visit my bank at the office, I think I'm connecting securely to my bank. No, I'm not. I am connecting to my corporate email server which is more than happy to create a TLS connection between me and that server. And then my corporate web server will then
create a TLS connection to my bank. And then when my bank sends something back, they say, okay, fine, they decrypt it, then encrypt it with the search that they have with me. It all happens very fast. So what happens if you examine the, uh, the security information related to the page that you're looking at from your bank? You would see that the certificate was not in the name of the bank. It would be in the name of your company. It would immediate, the browser will immediately tell you these days Generally, yes. What you'll get is a message saying the, the name on this cert does not match the domain. Uh, you could have an issue here. Well, okay. What they will do, typically, is they, it is that they will have a certificate that is valid. All right, there's a difference between an invalid certificate and one that does not match the domain. That's not quite the same thing. And what will happen is this example of a self-signed cert. They just create it, and it's their computer. So they can insert the, the key and the certificate onto the hard drive and just say, this, you know, all your communications have to go through this. This is the cert you want. So I'm just saying this is what is in effect happening. Uh, you know, if you work for a mom and pop outfit that the you know has four employees, they're probably not bothering. But the thing you is, it's know. not just your company that could do it. Your ISP or a, yeah. you know, anybody could get your stuff goes through. And that and and that's where we get back to what Dennis was talking about. If if this is important you would want to actually take a look at the certificate and see who signed it, what is the chain of authenticity. Um, um, yeah, and your browser will tip a chain. Right. Yeah. And you we're, we're actually going to talk about some of this stuff. Okay. okay. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I mean, I got OCSP stapling in here, I'm pretty sure. So, signing certificates. All right, how do you get a cert? You go to a certificate authority. This is the traditional way for a fee. They will sign your certificate to attest to its validity. Now what they are attesting to is nothing more than this certificate matches this domain. And it depends on the level of cert. Right. There are some certs where they will guarantee extended validity. Yeah. Um, Which banks typically have. Right. Those are way more expensive. Yes. Um, I think, you, you know, your typical three-year run on one of those is like a thousand or a thousand per year or something. It's the banks also want a wild card server. Right. Because they don't want to buy one for each and every server they put yeah. online. How does the Hudson Crib Certificate Authority um, yeah, that's uh, basically they're not charging a fee. That's the big difference. Is the certificate somehow different that No, it's no better, no worse than just the garden variety certificate. Remember, all it's attesting to is we have reason to think that, you know, 
the person who got this certificate legitimately operates this particular domain. All right, so. Well, so yeah, the uh, so what happens with signing a cert, the the CA, which is Certificate Authority, sign your certificate with their own private key. So you can look up their public key and say, okay, I will now verify whether this really was attested to by a legitimate authority. You can you can do this. And the second one, that serial number on that sort is still valid. Right. So who are they? Semantic is, hello, Jeff. Semantic is uh, now the largest it bought out VeriSign. GoDaddy does a lot. Um, if you want to know where Ubuntu comes from originally, it was this business. Mark Shuttleworth ran a, a company called Thought that was in the business. So bear in mind, he made enough money to basically fund the company out of his pocket plus go into space and everything else. It's a lucrative business, in other words. Okay, one of the things you might run into when you're looking at this is something called X509, which is a standard and established the role of certificate authorities. Now, interestingly enough, for historical reasons, all of this is governed by the International Telegraphic Union. Well, you know, they were handling international communication stuff and they just sort of adapted. Yeah. But these things are now ANSI right. extensions. So who's in real charge of this? Uh, yeah. So, you know, that uh, standard in 1988 established certificate authorities and set a standard format for the certs. So your certificates are going to be in, you know, X.509 format. Now this follows a hierarchical model and that's a little bit different. Now remember that anytime we're talking about encryption, the biggest problem is how do I know who I'm dealing with? How do I establish that? Right. So, you know, if I get an email that says it's from Carl, it's encrypted. What the hell am I supposed to do? Carl says, no problem, I'll give you my public key. Is that Carl? How do I know? Right. So with email, we typically get around that through what is called the web of trust. So I might meet Carl physically at a key signing party. And it's like, oh, that's Carl. I know Carl. Uh, or maybe I don't know Carl, but he shows up to the key signing party and he's got documents. You know, he's got a driver's license, a passport, what have you, that convince me, yeah, this probably is Carl Miller. 
and then I will accept his public key and add that to my key store, put on my key ring. Um, and that's how we do that. Or, you know, another way that that sometimes, that's why we call it the web of trust, is, you know, I say, well, I don't know if this is Carl, but Mike knows Carl. Is that right? To Mike, is, is, uh, does this look like Carl's public key to you? And Mike, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Carl, definitely. I'm paranoid, and I'd like Mike and somebody else to also verify it before I right. cross it. But, you know, there's, there's no higher authority in email. It's simply, you know, who do you trust to say something? So that's the web of trust. Now, with SSL certs, everything starts with root authorities, and there's a chain. So, semantic, GoDaddy, you know, these root authorities... Issues now. One of the problems is way too many of those. We'll talk about that. But yeah, if you ever look at your branch of that list, it, it is. Um, so you know, a root authority is um, there. There is no higher authority to appeal to. You know, they're at the root. So basically, what happens is your browser comes with a list of these authorities along with their public key. And it's all installed. A large list. Very large list. And that has to be, you know, you've got to start somewhere. So any certificate that is signed by Symantec, my browser is already configured to say, well, Symantec's a root authority, so if, it's, if this has a matching if it was encrypted using the, the match to the public key that I already have, this is good. This will be trusted. Then the root authorities can sign certificates for intermediate authorities. Right. So, you know, I might be getting my SSL cert from corner store somewhere, for all I know, you know, that... But I would say, well, you know, who's validating you? Well, and they'll produce a certificate that validates them, and I should be able to trace it all the way back to a root authority. So that establishes that chain, and, and that chain can be three, four, five levels deep before it gets to the actual cert that you're holding in your hot little hands, metaphorically, because it's all ones and zeros and electrons. So, you know, if you didn't have a root certificate installed, you would have a whole process of, well, okay, now what? Um, and now we're back to why, you know, why do you trust it? Right? If this is some root authority I've never heard of before, what do I, go to their website and say, hey, could I have your public cert? your public key. Um, and there have been problems with these root authorities. <laughs> anyway, X509 format, what is it? Um, so here are just some of the things you would see. If you want to look this up, 
you know, Wikipedia is really good on all of this stuff. So, you know, make use of it. There's the, my experience has been technical information on Wikipedia is almost always very accurate. Um, you know, political stuff, that's another thing entirely. <laughs> But the political stuff isn't accurate anywhere. Well, right. If there's no controversy, you know, if you're talking about yeah. periodic table or yeah, there's you know, there advancing standards, if there's no controversy, it's pretty trustworthy. Right. That's why I was surprised Donald Trump's yeah, I, I don't think any of Trump's people are trying to maliciously change the X.509 standard. It just, I'm going to make a wild guess on that one. Um, anyway, so you know, what are you going to have on a on a certificate format in the X.509? The version, serial number, what algorithm they're using. There, there are a number of different encryption algorithms. So we talked about that before. There are the uh, the RSA algorithm, uh, Revest Shamir Edelman, um, and there's a elliptic key and uh, I mean elliptic curve, um, Elgamal. There's a number of them that are out there. So basically, it's got to say this is the encryption algorithm I'm using. Who issued it? And, you know, what kind of validity is it supposed to have? And then what's the public key? All right, so all of those things are part of an X.509. So the negotiation starts, the certificate is presented, and you're going to start by looking at the version, the serial number, and the algorithm to do what you need to do to set up a connection and you negotiate on that basis for the encryption protocol. Now trust, is the cert self-signed or is it attested to by a certificate authority of some kind? All right. Validity, is the cert still valid? All right. Certificates have a date range for instance. There are times you very much want to be able to revoke a certificate. You can, not all the browsers do it right, but you can always revoke a certificate. Well, you can. The question is, will the browser honor that? Some of the browsers do, some of them don't. And famously, Google won't. Um, but, you know, even you know, re rejection is, uh, you know, you can cancel a certificate, you can revoke it, your browser may or may not pay any attention to it, but, um, you know, if you've got a drop dead date that says, you know, this thing expires, you know, June 30th, you know, it's a little extra layer of security. Now, the other thing, of course, means that if you are the owner of this certificate, you're going to have to pony up some more money at the end of this period to get a new one. CAs in business. Right. Um, and, you know, if, if, if this doesn't add up, if there's something wrong, your browser should pop up a warning. Now, typically what will happen is <coughs> it'll say, I encountered this problem. Do you still want to connect?
Well, sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's not a stupid question. I mean, yeah. what are we going to look at here? I want if you like want to connect to my cups, or worse, yeah. I have on to my, deal with the federal government, <laughs> and they won't always renew their certificates. Right. So I have no choice. Yeah. Because the website I'm talking to won't pony up again. Now, I don't know if anyone else, I, I love to listen to the uh, Security Now podcast with uh, Steve Gibson. And uh, very famously, about a year ago, as an oversight, the certificate for his own website lapsed. <laughs> and it was about 12 hours before he was able to get it back up again. Yeah, and I bet he got harassed for a long time. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. Um, So the public key on the certificate is obviously what you need in order to establish the connection. Remember, with the public key and that you have and the private key on the server, you're able to then do a Diffie-Hellman-Merkel key exchange and get a symmetric key that you're going to actually use to do the work. So the handshake process, you send the server a message asking to create a connection um, if you have this, uh, and, and if you don't, I'd say this is worth getting from EFF, the HTTPS everywhere, uh, you should always request a secure connection uh, or manually type HTTPS. Uh, Google's now doing it for defo- by default, um, and then it's up to the server. If you don't request a secure connection, the server has the option of requesting it. Um, anything involving money, server better be setting a secure connection. Um, and clearly we're moving to a world where this is going to be the default. I mean, you take a look at, at a couple of markers along the road here. One of them was Google saying, we're going to start downgrading you in the search results if you don't have a secure connection. Uh, and fortunately, at the same time, the uh, Let's Encrypt group uh, is now offering free certificates to everyone. So I, I think we're moving to the point where you know you take those two things, mix in a little Ed Snowden, and pretty soon it's like, yeah, let's let's have encrypted connections everywhere. So in the negotiation, the server and your browser compare notes on what protocols they each support. And the idea is to choose the most secure protocol. Then a secret symmetric key is generated, which can be done in a few ways, but exchanged through the public key connection. So you generate this agreed symmetric key It is then encrypted using the private key on the server sent to you. You can decrypt it with the public key, and now you've you've each got this symmetric key that you can use to handle the rest of the traffic. So, yeah, if if you were a top security person, you might say, well, wait a minute, I can 
see some potential ways to cause mischief, but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, if you want to, I thought this was a pretty good article about all of this stuff uh, I found at the uh, Purdue University site. And then a session ID is established. Uh, and the session ID allows an interrupted session to be resumed. And, and you know, sessions can be interrupted for any number of reasons. Your, you know, your web connection, you know, Wi-Fi could go down for a moment or something. So, if you've got that session ID, you can just keep going. Um, now, certificates can be used for more than just the web. Uh, so. In other words, X.509 certs are used for a number of things. Uh, for instance, uh, UEFI and Secure Boot use X.509 certificates. And in this case, they are issued by Microsoft as the certificate authority. Um, and that's one of the reasons why when all of this was happening, it was, well, you know, how are we going to put Linux on computers if you do this? And um, basically, what we've come up with is you can turn off Secure Boot. <coughs> In fact, I just turned off UEFI because I found I could not install Fedora until I had turned it off entirely. Um, or, uh, you know, I think some places have negotiated to say, well, you know, we want to be included and have worked with Microsoft to. I believe Ubuntu. Ubuntu did that. It's a bootloader that then loads Grub. Right. It gets around to the whole issue. So, you know, basically I'm just saying, oh, by the way, this is the same technology. Well, I, that was our part one. I hope you really enjoyed it. And look for part two to show up in your feed fairly soon. So this is Ahuka for Hacker Public Radio, as always, encouraging you to support free software. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.